everyone and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, Minute by Minute or Thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buddery and it is just us this week. Uh, so we will we'll get started and start talking about this week's scene straight away. Uh, it is a very intense scene. <laughs> we were just talking briefly mm-hmm. uh, before we started recording about how scary this scene is. Uh, I watched it only a couple of times and i usually watch it seven or eight it depends on how long the scene is but this one i was just like this is very intense and i've written all the notes i need to write so uh did not get my usual amount of watches on it but yeah it is uh the timestamp of this week's scene is from one hour 53 minutes and 57 seconds through to one hour 55 minutes and 42 seconds uh, which is one minute and 45 seconds of the film uh, so we are in the cage uh, with Hooper the sea is silent uh, pretty much anyway uh, as Hooper sort of prepares the the dart that he has the weapon that he took down and then surprise the shark appears behind him uh, knocks into the cage a uh, very intense uh, sequence of events <laughs> happens after that, uh, where the shark is attacking the cage, destroying it, basically. Hooper is screaming uh, with only his eyes, uh, and then somehow manages to get out of the cage. Uh, and we sort of leave it just as the the shark is kind of flopping on top of the cage, and we mm-hmm. see that Hooper <laughs> has, has got away from, from the shark. Um, and that's pretty much where where we leave it for this week so mj anything that you noticed in this week's scene um so not to uh beat a dead shark um but i basically only have one point this week and that's um jaws is a slasher movie (laughs) i don't like (laughs) i don't know how else you would describe the grammar of this scene besides mm-hmm. like the showdown with the slasher it feels so much like it's an underwater version of halloween or friday the 13th or any other slasher movie that you could possibly imagine it just feels so much like one of those like yeah every other slasher movie has borrowed from this scene even though it's underwater and with a giant shark Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I knew that you were gonna say you were gonna bring up a point like this. I just had a feeling because as I was watching the scene today, there's a bit. I think it's even when like Hooper has has the knife and he's kind of trying to like get the get the shark because he's he's dropped the the weapon that he had, and like the strings as well in this mm-hmm. are very very intense, very like the strings in Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, is what it reminded me of and, and I watched Psycho super recently as well so I was just like just had that in the back of my mind and 
uh, we'll probably be, probably bring this up again later, but I've been writing something at the moment about suspense films. So this was a really great scene to watch when I've mm. been watching a lot of really great suspense films recently, um, because I think the the build up to to the mo that moment that we're talking about where it is sort of very very intense and the you know the shark is attacking and Hooper is fighting back and everything else the build up to that is all really really great as well but yeah anyone who would like to argue that Jaws isn't a slasher movie or a horror <laughs> movie yeah or a horror movie I present this scene and many many others in the film as evidence but I think particularly this scene, like it really hit me watching it this this time around that this might be this it's hard to say when there's so many great moments in the film and so many scary moments, but this might this might be the scariest moment in the film. I think like everyone talks about the the Ben Gardner head and that's a great mm -hmm. jump scare, don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but this is terrifying because it is a main character as well and i think we mentioned this uh if it wasn't last week it was it was recently that all the other times you know nothing against alex kintner or, or chrissy or any of the other people that we saw the shark attack but they were kind of peripheral characters they weren't like the main characters so now having hooper in very very real danger and basically you know going toe to toe with this with this shark and and fighting for his life it's so much more intense because obviously we care so much about Hooper and we, and we got that sort mm -hmm. of anticipation even when he was just going down into the cage but now that this this is happening and we're watching him fight with the shark basically it's it's just it's it's terrifying it really is I think this is the reason why I could only watch this scene like a couple of times this week because it's just it's a lot it's very very full-on it's very frantic it's very anxiety inducing in a in a lot of ways and and we'll get on to that but yeah jaws i don't know what to tell you guys jaws is a horror film and it is also a slasher film and this is the scene that we are presenting as <laughs> <Yeah>. evidence <laughs> exhibit a through z like it is yeah so it is so much like those slasher movies and what i love about this scene is like the last last week it was it was fairly tense, right? Like, it's it's scary mm. to see the shark in all its glory for the first time, because this is the first time we're doing that. But the way that, like, it takes... The way that the the, the kind of arc of these two scenes, and going into next week's scene a little bit, uh, <clears throat> follows that sort of, um, to borrow a phrase from Mr. Scorsese, theme park ride uh, <laughs> up and down. Uh, is really, really great because we get like the big moment of like seeing the shark underwater for the first time. It's moving around. Obviously, there's the real shark footage. Um, and then it kind of quiets down. Hooper can get his bearings a little bit. We have that slow zoom onto the harpoon or onto the, the um, spear that he's going to use where he uncorks it and it's got the poison in it. We know it's got the poison in it. This is going to be the thing that kills the shark. And then the bottom drops out and all hell breaks loose in the cage. Mm -hmm. It's really, really effective. It's really, really well set up. It's really well edited. It's really well shot. It's a really great scene. And yeah, I think it is the scariest scene in the movie by kind of a lot. Like, mm -hmm. especially watching it in like, in in this very specific context and also just isolated out of context it like 
legit kind of amped my anxiety a little bit. And I've seen the movie a million times and I'm not afraid of the ocean. But this, I think watching it this week is the first time I've ever watched Jaws or at least a portion of Jaws and thought, I understand why so many people were afraid to go in the water or even the bathtub after mm-hmm. this movie came out because this is scary as shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had pretty much the exact same reaction to to watching it this week, which I think is why I did, didn't watch it that many times. And it's like, I, you were talking there about the, the build-up and it's so well edited and i i kept watching the the bit before the shark kind of comes and all hell breaks loose i watched that bit more times because Mm. i just really liked the the setup of shots and it wasn't quite as intense so i was like i can cope with watching the the sort of him you know with getting the the weapon ready and the shark swimming away and all the rest of it but it's so cleverly done because we see or we you know we've just seen the the shark swim away from hooper so sort of the tail end of last week's scene tail end uh, <laughs> and the, the beginning of, of, of this week's scene sort of carries over then so if following that we're then sort of looking at hooper dead on so the assumption is that he has seen the shark swim away like there mm. is then some kind of movement of the camera like around the cage so possible that the cage has spun or hooper has spun but either way it's everything is sort of leading us to to think that that shot that we've just seen of the shark swimming away, now we're looking at, at Hooper like square in the face. He has just seen the shark swimming away. So that area is is safe. And then we get a shot of like the, the empty ocean and we can see it's empty. Like the, the shark is no longer there. It has swum away. And then Hooper is preparing the weapon. He's positioned right like far over to the right as well. The focus is kind of on the the him preparing the, the weapon, but also there's that big kind of chunk of blue that's taking up most of the screen that we can see is empty and we can see the shark isn't there but yet we're on this high you know high state of anxiety like high alert because that's the direction that we've just seen the shark swim off into or so we think so if the shark is going to reappear and we're assuming it is going to that is the direction that we think it's going to come from so we're looking at you know any kind of disturbance in the water like you know bubbles anything just sort of suggesting that the shark is is coming back because that's the direction we think it's going to come from and then obviously it goes to to um sort of a different angle and there's just that that small kind of like slither over to the the right hand side of the screen and the way the shark appears is so I mean, it doesn't just come from a different direction to where we expected. It sort of comes from, like, the bottom right of the screen. Like, it really does properly creep up on you. This is Serial Killer 101. Like, (laughs) I can only imagine, anyway, uh, is, like, where this shark is kind of coming from. It's just, like, you know, you saw it go off in that direction, and yet it's going to appear from, from this place and sort of catch you off guard. And I don't think a real shark would behave in this uh, way necessarily we can clarify that with our resident shark expert but yeah i this is serial killer behavior not mm-hmm. shark behavior that that we're seeing but i i just love the build-up to that shark appearing because even though i know it's coming because i've seen the film so many times 
other people don't and i i keep mentioning the sort of the the group of friends i went to see it with who majority of them had never seen it before and and those who had it was their first time in the theater so having that experience of people who hadn't seen the film or not seen it in the theater watching it for the first time they that bit did make them jump and it's never made me jump before just because yeah. i've always known that's where the shark comes from and, and this is what happens next um so it is effective it is effective as a jump scare even though you sort of see the shark glide in before there then is the noise i think even just the appearance of the shark is enough to sort of catch you off guard because of that setup because yeah. we're, we're led to think that that is not the direction that the shark is going to come from you know we think it's going to come head on to hooper and then it doesn't and it's oh it's just so it's just so well done like that setup today just really really got me and the stillness as well it's so quiet it's mm -hmm. so eerie like and <laughs> a side note as well every single time i watch this it doesn't matter how many times i've seen it it's right before the shark appears but hooper like sticks his arm like through the front of the uh -huh. cage and every single time I'm like, Hooper, your arm! Just like yelling at my screen because like, you know, we've seen the film leading up to this point, any kind of like exposed limbs, you know, kids kicking around in the ocean yeah. or it, like that's the, that's the thing the shark's going to go for. And thinking that the front is the direction that the shark is going to come from as well, or at the very least the side. Seeing him like sticking his arm out of the cage every time I'm just like yelling at Hooper to put his arm back in the cage. <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> two things one i dropped the gif of what this is the shark is like in the discord uh <laughs> two um that's real good <laughs> uh, <laughs> i uh watching it today and uh <clears throat> maybe maybe much like how i've ruined ben gardner popping out for some people with the hello back young feller uh, this might ruin this moment, but whenever the shark pops in the frame and hits the cage, I always go, boop! <laughs> Happens every time. Oh, I really picked the wrong moment to take a sip of my water. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I've watched it back. Here it comes right now. I'm watching it in real time, and boop! It just, it just like, <laughs> uses its little snoot to, uh, to boop the, um... The cage, and it makes me laugh every time. Yeah, uh, little snoop, little snoop boop. Yeah, the little snoop boop. <laughs> it's real cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really, really like the way this is edited together with the real shark footage. Um, do we know if the puppet stuff is Dreyfus in the gear, um, and then the shark stuff, the real shark stuff, is Carl Rizzo? Yeah, I, I. I want to believe that some of it is. I was really, really looking out for it today because I yeah. know you said that, like in last week's scene, you were pretty good at sort of telling like when it was Dreyfus and when it wasn't, um, just because of sort of like body shape, size, everything yeah. else. There are some moments I really, I, I think it is him, or if yeah. not, it's a much closer uh, stunt double. They would have done that stuff not in the ocean, I imagine, but yeah. Well, maybe they did. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I confess to not knowing exactly yeah, not, whether it was him or not. But. I'm not really sure either. But there's a really great shot after the snoot boop of a real shark swimming towards the camera, and it is so close to Ron Taylor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is so close to him. It's so scary. Um, 
And, uh, but it's chomping on a yellow rope. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't now, know I... if that was by design or what. I've never noticed that before until I watched it today mm. and I like freaked out when I saw it. <laughs> yep. Even if it was just like unintentional, just a bit of like ocean debris or whatever, I was like, this is great. <laughs> Having never like noticed it before and then seeing it today, I was just like, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it also like it sets up an expectation about Hooper's fate as well. Mm hmm. And there's actually yeah. a surprising amount of yellow in this scene. Like the the sort of brass uh, end of the spear is sort of yellowy underwater. And then the logo on the oxygen tank has some yellow in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more, th more yellow than you would think for a scene that is otherwise very, very blue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> that, uh, the, the, how close the shark gets to the camera... It was a very, like, Jim from The Office look to camera moment <laughs> for me that I really, I really enjoyed. Because <laughs> it, like, I feel, I know it was, you know, just <clears throat> one of those great shots, but it really does look like the shark looks almost, like, directly at the camera. It's such, it's such a good shot. And, I mean, all the credit goes to Ron and Val Taylor, who, absolute mad lads, the pair of them, but yeah. <laughs> they're clearly like very skilled very good at what they do to be able to get shots like that and we'll talk about i think the shot with the kind of the shark like rolling on top of the cage because yeah. we get that <clears throat> mostly next week and, and we're going to watch the, the documentary to talk about as well um but what i noticed in, in in that shot as well um i think because right before we get that uh shark you know look into camera <laughs> moment we see the 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 dart uh, Hooper's weapon kind of like drop like to the ocean floor as well, and I was like, okay, so we've seen we've had like shots where we've been in the shark's point of view. You know, we had that right at the beginning of the film, and because the shot we get right before the shark looking at the camera is the 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 dart kind of falling to the bottom of the ocean, it's almost like the shark is. Bear with me. The camera is the the dart the weapon that's kind of like on the the ocean floor and the shark is like looking at the <laughs> at looking at the weapon so weapon oh, yeah. pov or shark dart pov um because i know this is us now just putting kind of like lines and words and personality into the shark but the way it like looks at the camera is or looks at the weapon is like got rid of that now he's unarmed and then he sort of comes like comes back for the next like phase of the attack i just thought it was a really a really cool shot and now I can't uh, unsee the shark as uh, Jim from The Office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They once again dropped a gif in the Discord that is exactly yeah. his expression, I think. Yeah, we've ruined this scene. Yeah. I mean, from the snoop loop to <laughs> the making, snoop the, <laughs> making the shark a character in The Office, uh, we've taken what is what we previously branded as the scariest scene Jaws and now just made it a comedy. Yeah, um... <laughs> The whoever's in the cage, uh, whether it's a stunt person or uh, Hooper, it is very good physical acting. Like there's like a frantic energy to them looking around for the the spear, the the shark dart, 
and then turning around and like the muffled scream before the shark attacks the cage again is really it's really good and really intense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i i love the if the, yeah if the, the screams are someone else or whether it's dreyfus or you know it, it's definitely his eyes like when it's mm. the the close-up but those kind of muffled sounding underwater screams are just they're so unnerving there's just something about it that just really just really sets me on edge yeah. because i think particularly as well the the quiet leading up to to this moment as well where it's sort of like the ocean is still and calm and even though we know the shark is there it's you know quite hooper's quite methodical in sort of you know getting getting the weapon ready and and making sure that that he is sort of alert as to where the shark is. I mean, he doesn't expect it to appear from from where it does because Hooper is not stupid. Like, he, he studies sharks. He knows shark behaviour. And even though he is very, very aware that this shark is acting in a way that is not like any other shark they've dealt with, he 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 prepares in a way that is sort of like he still, at that point, is very calm and he knows what he is doing. But when the shark then does appear f- from from behind and he, he doesn't really, you know, then he does like completely panic because, you know, the, the dropping, dropping the dart and everything is, is quite uncharacteristically Hooper. Like he's not, he's not Brody. He's not <laughs> like the, we haven't seen him be that clumsy or that careless really at any other point in the film i mean maybe that maybe there is an example i'm not thinking of but it's it's clearly so surprising what happens that it causes him to sort of abandon all reason because then like after he drops the weapon as well he isn't even looking around him he's looking down like he's looking trying to see like can i retrieve the dart can i get it back and that's you know letting his guard down again for the second time is then when when the shark sort of really you know comes with full force and and attacks the cage and it's yeah i don't know can you like think of if there have been any other times in the film when hooper is sort of i mean there was not i guess acting in the most logical way when he took his time attaching the the thing to the barrel quite early on but he he still knew what he was doing there's not really like a mistake per se that we've seen yeah this is the first time he has he's been out of control of his faculty well he got angry at the the mayor uh Mm -hmm. earlier but this is the first time it's like cost him you know something in a pretty major way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um so a couple things i was trying to uh so this scene is also psycho, right? Like this is the shower. This is the shower scene. It's it uh, it just fully immersed. <laughs> and, but it, it's, I mean, he's in a confined space and the killer like comes into that confined space and attacks him. So I was trying to find uh, a picture of, I mean, so I found this picture of Janet Lee, um, which is like the most famous part. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to find, um, yeah. This in particular, um, this shot from from the shower scene, mm-hmm. uh, because that's the shot of like it's a close up of her mouth open and screaming. Obviously, we don't get that because we can't see Hooper's mouth because he's got a breathing apparatus on. But he does that 
same shot with his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so, it's so obvious. But also, freaking Google uh, really tried to get me to interrupt you and derail this. It was so hard to keep this to myself <laughs> while you were speaking. Hang on, the GIF is not playing. Let me click it. Uh, a description of the GIF for the listener's benefit is uh, uh, Janet Lee in, in the shower in Psycho, uh, and then from the right appears a very sinister looking duck. Yep. <laughs> Just a duck. <laughs> the way the shadow comes in. Because <laughs> it looks like That's a weird. knife because of the bill. And then it's a it's duck. Real- and then the duck Real blinks, stupid. which is very funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, I think I just found my new favorite gif. Yeah, uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty great. Pretty, uh, pretty great. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like if we, by the way, um, since we've drawn so many parallels between Quint and the shark, like this is, they both get a Norman Bates moment, right? Like, mm. And Quint has it when he comes in with the bat to, to smash the, the radio. And then the shark has it right now with Hooper. Um, and it is, wow. L- looking at the other gifts of this scene, it is, it's not shot for shot, but it is clearly variations on a theme uh, mm-hmm. here. It's, it's so obvious. And I've never really put it two and two together on it being the, the shower scene, but it 100% is. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is obviously just, you know, adding to this theory, which I absolutely buy into. But, like, when they're putting the um, the cage onto the orca, like, doesn't Quint refer to it as, like, a portable shower or something as oh, well? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I... It's so funny because I, I'd... I sort of picked up the that duck gif just keeps going on my screen. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so distracting. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to look at a different screen. Um, yeah, because I I mean one of the first things I wrote down in my notes is how similar the the strings in this sound yeah. to <clears throat> Bernard Herrmann's score in in Psycho, which is you know if you mention mention to someone or you know what's some, one of the most like iconic horror film scores like they're probably gonna say jaws or psycho or maybe <clears throat> halloween mm-hmm. uh and we've drawn parallels uh between those three <laughs> those three films in talking about jaws many many times but you really get the the we'll call them the psycho strings in in this scene it's the thing that i hear most in the in the score and it's not it's not the kind of the same shark music or shark score that we've that we've had previously. Like it's it's different to to the shark theme when sort of like the shark is hunting. This is like the shark attacking, it's so more, giving it that. Yeah, it's much more aggressive. Yeah, yeah. So give it so giving it that music, which is like I feel deliberately kind of reminiscent of of Psycho is. I mean, how can anyone watch Jaws and be like, it's not a horror film? Yeah. I just, I can't, I really can't get over this. I know yeah. we labor this point like so often, but this scene to me is just, you know, 
if Spielberg was ever going to make his version of <laughs> of the psycho mm-hmm. shower scene, it's 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 this, right? Like, yeah, I mean, even even towards the end, uh, you know, when the shark is attacking and he pulls out the knife and starts stabbing the the shark, like it's like a reversal of the, sh- you know, it's almost like what if Janet Lee also had a knife in mm-hmm. in that scene? Like the way he shoots it is like the knife coming down in Psycho. Yeah. Yeah, the, like, just, I mean, <laughs> I now just want to watch, like, the two the two scenes back-to-back and then the duck gif. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's still going yeah. on my screen. It yeah, won't it stop. It's, it's too much. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Nothing will stop the duck. No. Nope. <laughs> um, also, very, 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 maybe the best use of shaky cam in any movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it... it it doesn't make me feel nauseous, mm-hmm. which normally shaky cam does, but mm-hmm. it's it fits this moment so perfectly, like the franticness of it. Yeah. It's so good. Well, and I'm sure, you know, I've never been scuba diving. I've been snorkeling, but I'm sure it's got to be super disorienting to be underwater to begin with. But then having to deal mm-hmm. with this and like try to keep your wits about you and like your adrenaline's going, you know, your heart rate is probably through the roof and like... Um, like you're already a little more stressed than you usually are because you're underwater. Um, and then this happens, like it was, it's gotta be so disorienting. And this is, we've talked about it before, how like otherworldly it feels like, I mean, I know he's attached to the boat still at this point, but it's gotta feel like he is in outer space. Like it, like I can't imagine him thinking he's anywhere connected to anything resembling, the real world at this point Mm. and i mean there's there's similarities between you know space and underwater that kind of weightless feeling and the the way that you move underwater again not an expert haven't been diving but you know it's what you can see in the film and i you know (laughs) i've seen this film enough times to to pick up on it but he can't move and react as quick as he would if he was you know, if he was on land, he is at an immediate disadvantage because he is now in, you know, where is the shark's domain? And and as an experienced swimmer and diver as, as Hooper is, you see like the, that's where that sort of, you know, shaky cam and everything is, is so great in this scene because it's adding that fast movement where Hooper can't because he can't like spin around and like see that the shark is, is there. Yeah, good point. You know, quickly <laughs> because he's... He, he's got all the equipment to contend with as well, but that's just not how people move in water. Yeah. Well, and this is the point I brought up last week about why this is much more exciting than Thunderball, which is, has a ton of underwater (laughs) photography. It's the camera in Thunderball is pretty static. um, And while it is amazing to think, you know, that they captured that, I think in the sixties, right? Thunderball. 65. 10 years earlier. Um, it's amazing. Like it, it, that, that movie is really amazing to watch from a technical level and be like, shit, they did this in 1965. That's crazy. But mm. to see how we've evolved that, um, even in the 10 years from Jaws or from Thunderball to Jaws to make it actually feel exciting, <laughs> um, mm. is, is really cool. And, uh, I'm, you know, like I said last week too, I'm sure when Spielberg got to shoot underwater, 
if Thunderball had to have been in his brain because he was a big James Bond guy. I mean, that's, you know, mm. he he offered twice and got declines to direct Bond movies. So, um, yeah, using that is really good. It's also a very good way of covering up all those rubber bars <laughs> um, <laughs> that are on the front of the cage because watching it here, it is super obvious <laughs> that... Uh, those are rubber bars on the cage, and the shaky cam does a lot to hide that. Yeah, like rubber bars, rubber shark uh, for most of this scene. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's fine. I can, yeah, it, it's. But that I think is the you know sign of how well. There's many things that indicate how uh, great a director Spielberg is, but. He, accepting the sort of limitations that there that there are at the time but even though you can sort of see the the rubbery nature of the shark and the bars by keeping things moving as quick as they do your eyes don't settle for long enough to sort of go that doesn't look real or that isn't you know the effect of the scene is is diminished in any way because of 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 those things or how it looks it's like it still feels exactly how it's meant to feel yeah, which is yeah, like yeah. intense and scary and horrifying to watch but yeah, yeah it's the yeah the that that cage i feel is like as flimsy as a wet paper bag yeah it's uh, <laughs> there's there's one shot and no one's gonna notice this unless they have keen eyes or they're watching it the way we are there's one shot right after the shark gets stabbed i think that it, it one of the bars falls and it just like it does yeah. not it is that is not how metal would fall at all um and that's the only thing and it doesn't take me out of the movie i think we've talked about this before we're like yeah. noticing this shit does not matter like it doesn't no. make it less effective it doesn't you know there's a lot of times um especially because you know we watch a lot of horror movies at home and there are so many times where like something will happen off screen and it's like the suggestion of something like kind of gross or gnarly happening. And every time we watch it, I'm like, Oh, they saved, they saved money on that. You know, like that was a cost. Mm. That was absolutely a cost savings uh, shot. But the good news, which Spielberg employs to wonderful effect here is not showing it makes it more effective a lot of the time. So it doesn't, it, just because you can see the sort of matrix code behind it doesn't mean it's not well done. But it just, like, mm. you can also be like, oh, yeah, they they didn't want to spend money on makeup or corn syrup or whatever for, you know, this shot. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I think it's smart filmmaking. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, I would also do that. You know, if, if I had a certain amount of money to play with, I would ring every you know, scent out of it, but I also, where I could cut corners, not even, not even cut corners, but where I could, like, suggest something here to make the ultimate reveal or whatever, or, like, something in the climax even better, I'm gonna do that. Mm. Yeah, I think as well, like, in talking about this bit as well, the, the fact that we get both, like, real and not real shark, and yes, you can tell but i think blending those two things 
together and having those really really great shots you know like the 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 sharks wink to camera and when we saw it swim away last week and we've still got mm. i think the best shark yeah. shot to come which we'll talk about next week um but you know you you wouldn't i'm glad those shots are there but obviously there's there's no way they could have done this film with an entirely real you know shark yeah you can't yeah. train a shark to do the things that that the shark does in this film so it's a necessity to have that to have that model and you know again mentioned lots of time and i think every jules fan <clears throat> is aware of how famously unreliable mm-hmm. the the shark was so we don't see it as as much as was intended but that is you know where the strength of the film of the film lies and we do get a a good look at the the shark in this scene but i think if the thing that you're taking away from this scene is oh the shark looks really bad then you're doing this scene wrong because that was not the thing on my mind when i was watching this scene i was thinking i'm concerned for hooper i'm feeling scared i'm feeling anxious i'm feeling all the things that i'm meant to be feeling in this scene and yes when you pause it and pick it apart like this and particularly as well when you see the real shark footage and the and the sort of fake shark footage so close together it, it you know you can sort of see those the joints on the jowls and the his, yeah. his flabby little jaw and the the things <clears throat> that i find really endearing yeah. <laughs> about the yeah. about the shark model but it's he's just a little chonker he's just he's just a chunky little boy yeah. and i <laughs> with a little boopable snoot yeah um <laughs> <laughs> we really uh trying to make the shark as uh, adorable as possible but... yeah i mean that is but... what they say to do if a great white tries to attack you right is to boop the snoot boop the snoot yeah, yeah. i believe that is the technical term yeah. as well boop that the they snoot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> use in the training um yeah i it's oh, i don't want to annoy people but i just think it's such a lazy criticism to to when you when you say that you don't like jaws because of the way the shark looks i just don't think that's a good enough excuse (laughs) i'm really sorry i just i i know we are defenders of the shark and the way the shark looks on on this pod and a lot of other people are as well our guests are i don't think we've had a single guest who has been like the shark looks bad um but yeah sure like when you look at it now like with today's technology and and everything else like sure it i would say you could say it looks dated or it looks like of its time but it does not look bad i just don't and if that's the one thing that you're picking out of this film and saying that's the reason you don't like it then i don't think you've watched the rest of the film (laughs) if that's the thing you're coming out with i don't know it's really effective where it needs to be and right like i think the 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 shark not working that often i think it works where it needs to like it works really really well here Mm -hmm. it works really really well when quint dies spoilers for five episodes from now um but it uh it doesn't need to work any more than that i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it doesn't need like it's it's the perfect amount of shark yeah yeah and it it's you know this is the I've been talking about this a lot just because I've been writing about suspense films recently. So I've been picking out the the patterns that there, that there are in these films. And 
spoiler jaws is on my list of suspense films because it fits yeah. <laughs> into that mold and any excuse to to talk about jaws but in in so many of of the films that i've been been re-watching or watching or, or writing about the thing that that creates the suspense creates the tension is is absence like when the yeah. the thing is there doing the thing it's scary and you know intense and all the rest of it but the suspense is like waiting for that thing to happen so if the shark was in it you know much more than than it is or what we've ended up with you could argue that the the film is is not as tense is not as exciting because it would these moments if, if all we've seen is this shark swimming about you know behaving as it's meant to do all the time this bit where it sort of then like springs up behind Hooper, we just wouldn't, just wouldn't be as effective. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I don't know the exact quote, but Spielberg will so often talk about like the the absence, the absence of the thing is is more scary because nothing is more terrifying than the power of our imagination. Like yeah. us being able to like fill in the gaps and think about, you know, even long before we see this shark in like its full scale. All they're do- doing is talking about, you know, the the size of it and how it acts in a way that's completely different to anything else they've seen before and they've never known anything like it. And you're, bu- you're building that up until mm-hmm. you see it for the first time. And then when you do see it, it's so, so effective. But it isn't then like, oh, we've seen the shark, let's now have it in every single shot because then what are you building up to? Like, what are, what are you kind of waiting to, you know, th- these moments then just wouldn't have that same effect and, and same with with quint's death as well like we see a lot of the shark in in the back half of the film like more than you than you do in the first but it still isn't a lot you know in the grand scheme of things yeah. and it's of the films that i've that i've been watching for for my research as well it's like the the ones that are effective in sort of really creating that feeling of of, of tension and suspense are the ones that don't over egg it <laughs> like with the thing that you're supposed to fear it not being there is so much more scary than it being there even though this scene is very very scary because it is all up in hooper's grill yeah as it were. <laughs> yeah i think um i think uh it, you know i think when it comes to monster movies which jaws is a monster movie um mm-hmm. i think there are kind of two ways to approach it um but I think it depends on what you're going for. If you are going for a horror movie like Jaws, uh, and <clears throat> of course I'm going to do this, but I think there's a lot of crossover. We talked about this on the Squalus episode. Uh, I'm going to talk about Godzilla. So Godzilla as a character or creature operates in kind of two fields. One, this sort of stand in for the nuclear age and the threat of atomic warfare and the effect mm. that it has on the environment. Two, mm-hmm. just a big action figure that smashes together with other giant monsters and you you watch that happen for an hour and a half. Um, and if you watch the movies where Godzilla is an allegory for the nuclear age, he's not in it that much. Um, but if you watch the ones where he is like the hero who saves, you know, the planet from whatever other threat there is, he's all over the place in and I think they're both effective. There are really good nuclear age Godzilla movies and there are really good action figures smashing up against each other Godzilla movies. And there are really bad ones of both. Um, so 
I think it all depends on intent, right? Like if the if the idea was for Jaws to be an action movie, then yeah, maybe the shark should be in it more, right? Like if he if if he's making the Meg, right? You want the shark to be all over that movie, right? Um, if you're making Deep Blue Sea, you want the shark to be all over that movie. But if you want something like this, you, this is perfect. It's the exact correct amount needed. Mm. Yeah, I think it's maybe the people who say like you know the the shark isn't in it enough, was well, not enough shark or whatever. They're going into Jaws expecting something different. <sighs> It's hard because, like, Jaws does tick so many of the boxes. Like, it is a horror film, it is a slasher film, it is a monster film, it is an adventure film. It's all of those things. But I think it manages to be all of those things because it balances everything within it so carefully. Like, it's not just all-out shark action all the time. Right. It's not just all-character stuff. It's not just, like, back-to-back scares, <laughs> thrills, whatever. Like, it does all of those things and it balances them all so perfectly which i think not all films manage to get but i guess i'm maybe this is just a really roundabout way of me saying that like going into a film with an idea of what it is going to be beforehand can affect the way that you watch the film i mean we're all guilty of it yeah i mean go ahead yeah i I mean you get like your first impressions of a film something where you're like it is gonna be this thing uh and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't but like if you if you expect a film to be a certain thing because of what you've heard what you've read what you've seen whatever and you don't open yourself up to the idea that it can be other things i think you're only going to come out of it with that one interpretation that's not to say that anyone who watches jaws and only calls it a monster movie or only calls it whatever is wrong but i just think that you're missing something if you're only thinking of it as one thing. Yeah, I think a movie that was disserved by its marketing that was a creature feature like this is The Grey with Liam Neeson in 2011. Mm. Because everyone went into that movie being like, Wolf Puncher, this movie should be called Wolf Puncher. Liam Neeson mm-hmm. is going to punch wolves for an hour and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and and because he, he was coming right off of Taken and all that. And like everyone was like, it's Wolf Puncher. It, that movie is a bleak meditation on grief and letting it consume you. And the wolves are a stand in for that. And he does not win. And he does not punch a single wolf in the movie. And I hated it because I wanted wolf puncher. Like I haven't (laughs) seen that movie since the theater because I was like, that's not what I wanted out of this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Another example only because i had a conversation with someone about this recently is how misleading the trailer for sweeney todd was (laughs) where it was like they really picked the like two minutes of that film when no one is singing to make it look like to make it look like this was not a musical so some people went into that film and were sorely disappointed to the point where I only know this because i wrote a big old thing about johnny Depp recently i think that like some people like tried to um sue them for like false advertising or something i'm sure that's the thing let me uh let me find it in my in my article um yeah the film's trailer cleverly masked just how many songs it contained leading many people to be surprised when they sat down in theaters to a full-fledged musical some disgruntled filmgoers reportedly even took their grievances to the advertising standards authority (laughs) which is super fun it's so it's so petty but 
yeah, I I really like that film. I do I too. Really like musicals. Yeah. Uh, really like Tim Burton. Occasionally like problematic fave Johnny Depp. Yeah. Uh, but sure, yeah. If you're going into it thinking it is gonna, because the trailer makes it look like Sleepy Hollow. Like yeah, it makes it yeah. look like those sort of other <clears throat> you know dark creepy. Tim Burton, Johnny Depp films you've had before, and like there's there's small amounts of singing in the trailer because I I had to go back and watch it because one research two I was just intrigued by like how misleading it is, and it it's misleading to the point of not giving away just how much singing there is because that film is almost entirely sung. Yeah, um, I don't so, know about this, but Cyrano did the same thing because that's a musical as well. Oh sure, and there's yeah. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know how much singing there is in it. But there's one shot of people dancing that whole trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this uh, I going off topic here, but like I, if I can, I'll avoid watching trailers because I just think that one, I think they give away too much, mm-hmm. as we spoke about when we spoke about the Spider-Man, too many Spider-Men's trailer, where they effectively tell you all the characters that are going to be yeah. in it, or at least a couple of them. But also, I. The trailers are... I mean, the purpose, obviously, is to make you want to go and see the film, right? Showing off the best bits of the film. Like, here's all the reasons why you would want to go and see it. But I think also, as well, like, people will just immediately judge how a film looks based on on that trailer of that, you know, minute and a half or so that you've got of the film that is designed to kind of, like, sell it to make you want to go and see it. But if it is... I mean, the examples we've said are sort of, you could say, I guess, that the the trailers are being misleading, but you can't always go into a film thinking it is going to be exactly as advertised because sometimes they do do that to kind of just get the bums on seats, like get people into the cinema and then you you get what you get when when the film actually starts. But yeah, I... I didn't, I mean, I didn't see Sweeney Todd at the, at the cinema because I think I was still too young, but I I knew it was a musical just because I knew about Sweeney Todd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. It was in like, same. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back it's and watch like... that trailer because I, because I knew it was a musical, so maybe my brain put more music in there than I thought. Yeah, it's it's really quite something. Um I think I li- it's linked to my article, but yeah, it's it's literally just like the main the main trailer, so mm. it's <laughs> it's kind of wild, but yeah, I mean, I guess bringing it bringing it back to to Jaws. The have you watched any of like the the trailers for for Jaws, like the old trailer? I mean, old trailers are very bad. Um, I think most of them because it's just a guy talking. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen it at least once, but I don't remember a thing about it. Yeah. It, well, from what I can remember, it's like, you know, classic guy with the deep voice, yeah. you know, the most terrifying thing you've ever seen. And it's basically like the shark POV, like swimming towards Chrissy. And I don't think there's much more to the trailer than that, to be honest. Like, uh, maybe my memory of it is just very, very poor. But it's it's setting you up to think like Jaws is one particular thing and then it ends up being many, many different things. Yeah. But going into a to a film any film not just jaws expecting it to be a thing and then being disappointed when it isn't that thing i feel like that's on you rather than the film to be honest like not to say like anyone who you know 
has found a trailer misleading of a film is you know that th they're wrong but it's like well if if what you've gone into is like well that wasn't how it looked in the trailers or that wasn't what i expected it to be that's i mean that's, that's really the film's fault is it <laughs> yeah i mean it's the marketing department's fault right like i mean yeah <laughs> I, I don't hold the gray against joe carnahan that said i'm much still to this day would much rather have seen wolf puncher because that's the movie i thought i was getting so like mm. i was just like why is everything so serious you know like um <laughs> and then especially at the end when like you feel like you're gonna get the payoff for it because he's like he's got the glass in between his, his knuckles and he's duct taped up and then it cuts to black. I was just like, oh, so it's just not happening. Like, it's just, <laughs> we're just not doing the movie that you said it was going to be in the trailer at all, huh? But I knew not to hold that against the director. I knew that that was the marketing team's fault. Um, yeah. And like, it was, it, that that movie really sticks in my craw as like, the biggest disparity between actual film and trailer that I, I can remember in my life. Hmm. Yeah, that's funny because I've seen I've seen the film a very very long time ago, so I don't remember mm. that much about it. But I don't remember seeing the trailer to it, so that's funny. To, I'm gonna watch that. <laughs> I'm gonna watch that trailer after we finish. I want to know how much wolf punching there is. Well, and yeah. I think also <laughs> you know the reason they they did that is because Joe Carnahan, like I mean, the guy made Smoke and Aces, and I, mm. uh, was that Hannah? Did he make Hannah? No, that was the other. Jo Right? Joe Wright? Is that his name? Mm, yeah. Yeah, he made Narc, <laughs> Smoke and Aces, and the A-Team right before the gray. So, like, oh, sure. yeah, of course you're going <laughs> to cut it like an action movie. But then when you go, when you advertise it as an action movie and then you show up and there's not a single action sequence in the movie, people are going to be upset by that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I think it's like... Yeah, there is, it's, when that is how the movie is selling itself, it is hard to go into it expecting anything else other than that. Unless you just completely avoid any, like, trailers, marketing, whatever, mm -hmm. and just go into every single film blind. I mean, that's the dream. That's what I would like to do. But unfortunately, <laughs> working where I work, uh, I have to do a lot of <laughs> reading, writing about film generally just to sort of keep on top of things and and be able to write but yeah it's it's interesting to yeah i just can't i can't stop thinking about <laughs> liam neeson wolf puncher and how much i would like to see that film. i know <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah i can't think of any like other like recent examples where i've been like that was a misleading trailer you mm -hmm. mentioned serrano but i've not i've not seen the film or the trailer i don't think so the trailer looks really good but i knew it was a musical and i was like there's not a single musical sequence in this trailer at all there's one shot of people dancing mm -hmm. but there's also one shot of people dancing in the trailer for eternals as well you know like sure <clears throat> yeah <laughs> wish that had been a musical yeah right <laughs> have been more interesting uh <laughs> maybe i don't know yeah good lord that movie was boring can only polish a turd so much yeah. um yeah <laughs> and i liked that film when i first saw it i was like it's okay but then i don't know i've thought about it and i'm like i couldn't tell you one single thing that happened in that film. yep <laughs> so, yeah 
Hmm. Yep, that was a film where I was like, oh, it's still happening, huh? Still going on? Still, uh, still going on. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Any, uh, anything else in, in this scene? Because I, one small thing that <clears throat> might be a big thing, I don't know. Um, yeah, I have, I have one else. thing. I really like, <clears throat> after Hooper starts stabbing the shark and it starts bleeding, we get almost nothing but wide shots from that point mm. forward. Because once we uh, once we start to see the blood coming out, it's you can't tell if it's shark blood uh, or Hooper blood. We we know there's at the very least shark blood. Yeah, but there's a lot. It seems like, and uh, so I really like the kind of fake out it does to make you think that maybe Hooper got nicked in the process too. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really really good point because like the way that the shark is kind of like ramming into Hooper as well, mm-hmm. like feasibly he could have got like a, a bite on the, a bite on the leg. I'm sure he hasn't come out of this completely unscathed. Yeah. So the, the franticness and the, that we never sort of see like, you know, teeth connect with flesh or anything. So we're, it's super disorientating this bit because we're, we're so unclear of what's happening and that bit, like you said, when there when there then is blood in the water, we're not seeing it in close up, so we don't know whose it is, and it is so effective. And even when we see Hooper swim away, we don't know if if he's okay. And that's the last we see of Hooper until he pops up at the end, right? Like we don't, yeah, we don't get another bit with Hooper because next scene is the the shark flopping on top of the cage, and then they they pull the cage up, and they think Hooper is gone, and then that's basically it. We're then into you know. Quint's death or leading up to it so we don't know that obviously we see Hooper swim away but we don't we don't know if he was injured if that was if that was his blood like whatever and and we don't know that he's okay until he pops up again later so it's effective in in making us wonder about that as well like is Hooper actually okay like obviously he got away Hmm. but you know is (laughs) has we see him with both legs you know yeah so he hasn't lost a leg but he could still have you know been sufficiently injured and and losing blood to the point that you know he might not have made it so Mm. interesting because i have always thought you know because you see hooper swim away and obviously have seen this film enough times to know that he is okay it's obvious that hooper hooper survives because he gets away Mm -hmm. but it it kind of isn't really Until, until we see him pop up it's not obvious that that he's definitely survived the encounter yeah Hmm. my thing that i had um is uh bringing back quint uh and quint's machete uh (laughs) uh, but related point because obviously we see in uh, i don't know if it's next week or the week after but when when quint is you know being dragged under by the shark and and he's got the machete and that is his kind of like weapon of choice and we've seen him with that that weapon previously as as well um a sort of fairly kind of old school weapon i suppose or at least in comparison to to hooper's you know high-tech shark dart equipment that he's got but what is interesting i guess in in this scene is you know hooper obviously drops the 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 poison the shark dart that he had um so having to resort to something that is a a little more quint-esque quintessential if you will 
um, by sort of having to use the knife. That's like all he has at, at his disposal. But I thought just an interesting connection there between between Quint and, and Hooper. Um, obviously, we saw a few scenes ago, Quint sort of being like, okay, I've tried all the things I've got. Hooper, what are you going <laughs> to... <laughs> what can you do with the with the tools that you brought on board um and yeah you know that in this situation proves not to be any help whatsoever because hooper drops it before he even gets anywhere near the shark and the only thing he he sort of has with him to use then is is the knife which is yeah yeah i mean i i think it's a was interesting i think it's a good illustration of the sort of you know we've talked about them as being the 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 man of science versus man of faith type of archetype. Um, <clears throat> obviously more at play in something like Lost uh, between Jack and Locke. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 the same thing. Like, uh, you know, Quint very much operates on instinct. But here, even though Hooper loses the science weapon, it's still little column A, little column B, because the thing that ultimately saves mm-hmm. his life is the cage. Sure. If it, if it's not for the cage kind of slowing the shark down and limiting its movement, Hooper's toast. Um, mm-hmm. But he also, in order to successfully escape, needs to unlock that kind of more instinctual, primal part of him to stab the shark um, with a simpler weapon that's not poisoned and um, just, you know, much more, you know, knives have been around for a real long time. And uh, <laughs> so... To, to see him have to relate, uh, rely on a more, quote, primitive tool while still using the science tool to his advantage, I think is proves the, the sort of blending of both worlds is finally, mm-hmm. like, coming to a head in this part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess the... To be real Lord of the Flies about it. <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the oxygen tank as well. I mean, he mm-hmm. stays under for... Yeah quite a while like after this it is a while before before he then pops up yeah i mean it's when we get to that bit (laughs) literally like the last major thing that happens in the movie right (laughs) is yeah yeah exactly so it's got to be a good i mean what minute are we on now it's it's probably like i don't know four or five minutes and that's just in the you know film time rather than than the the time of what is happening in in the scene but he is under for for a while so that that equipment as well is obviously plays a part in in keeping him alive uh so that you know he he is able to get away so yeah that's that's a good point actually because obviously the you know that shark cage wasn't there it's bye bye who yeah uh, <laughs> and i mean i think we'll talk about this more next week just because it it's it's more relevant with the um the sort of the great shot of the shark on top of the cage, but the, you know, Hooper was meant to die here in yeah. this scene, yeah. basically. Uh, and it was only because of a sort of circumstances, you know, behind the scenes and, and, and filming that, that meant that they had to add in that, that bit of him sort of swimming away and basically completely change the, <laughs> the, the end of the yeah. film and the fate of the character. And glad that that is the outcome that we get. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to think about what might have been and i guess that that frames this scene in a in a slightly different way as well and it's like what we see as the outcome and, and hooper escaping that wasn't meant to happen yeah like so this attack on on hooper of the shark is meant to be as brutal intense terrifying you know 
anxiety inducing all the things we've we've said about it it's meant to be all those things because this is meant to be the end <laughs> of hooper yeah so i love that it wasn't toned down at all like when it was you know i don't know at what point in the journey it was sort of decided that that actually hooper would survive because of because of what happened but you know so that bit actually that you mentioned of, of the sort of the ocean filling with blood like maybe that was meant to be <laughs> maybe that was meant to be it maybe that was meant to be the the end of hooper yep it makes you think about this scene i guess in a in a different way thinking that this is was meant to be a death scene but Ugh. yeah <laughs> um <laughs> So I just had a thought that is not... It's more meta to the show than anything. This Mm -hmm. scene puts us into a single-digit amount of minutes left in the film. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah, I've... I've had many, uh, and I'm sure this is only going to get worse as we get closer and closer to the to the end of of uh, this phase of LJ Fan. But so many moments where it's just really hit me how little we have yeah. left. <clears throat> like the the weirdly episode seventy five has been like a bit of a milestone yeah, for me because yeah. it's like as a Jawsy number, isn't it? Because it's the year it came out yeah. and. It's at that point where it's like the the countdown is on. We've kind of about four episodes after that. Wow of of actual film and only you know, five in terms of how many we're because we, we've got a sort of an extra one once we finished the minute by minute but yeah i when i looked at our schedule earlier i was like holy crap <laughs> 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 not long not a not a lot left <laughs> yeah buck wild wow yeah yeah Oof. yeah this puts us into <laughs> roughly eight minutes left of film I when we started, I never <laughs> like hour fifty three. Yeah, hour fifty five felt so far yeah. away. <laughs> Let alone like the end of the film. Yeah. I was, I mean, it's funny because some of the people who we've got coming up as as guests, they first got in in contact so long <laughs> ago that like when I then did my usual sort of planning and scheduling and I usually message people about a month out because I think that gives enough time for us to work out, you know, timings and people's put it in their diaries and what have you. Um, so it's like, I'm sure some people had forgotten that they'd ever said anything. Yeah. There's me sliding into the DMs like, hey, you know, literal years ago, you said you <laughs> might fancy coming on to talk about Quint's death. Well, <laughs> it's coming up. Uh, <laughs> yeah wild <laughs> yep Ugh. um before i have a existential crisis uh thinking about the end of the podcast is there anything else that uh that you had to mention about this week's thing uh no i think i'm good okay uh anything that you would like to plug yes um <clears throat> i was i don't know if it's out but i've recorded my episode for esoterica cinema uh, to talk nice. about the color of money, um, had a real good time with um, with those guys, and I think that's it. Real perspective, R E E L perspective. Um, Missy's done with a show now, so she was she was in a play, um, and so she is more available. So we're going to do an episode on Boba Fett. Uh, which will be fun to see if I remember a single thing about Boba Fett. And then uh, we're, I think we're going to do a Batman episode as well. So Nice. 
Awesome. Uh, I have, I mean, I've mentioned a couple whilst we've been talking weirdly, but um, a couple of new things um, that I've written for Looper. So um, every Johnny Depp movie ranked, uh, I say every, a couple of minutes, <laughs> the ones where he's in for like two seconds. <laughs> um, Did you put Tusk on there? Most. Tusk is okay. on there, yeah, and Yoga Hoses. Um, <laughs> I literally just watched the trailers uh, and a couple of scenes from those films, and I was like, I've seen enough. I like Tusk. Um, <laughs> I don't like Yoga Hoses, but I, I'm a Tusk apologist. I know some other people who are Tusk apologists as it's well. Fun. You're not alone. <clears throat> mm, yeah, I don't know. It's. I feel like it's a level of weird that I'm not entirely sure I could. Oh, it's with. dumb as shit, but it's it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh so that is uh that is in the list as well as uh, lots sweeney todd edward edward scissorhands benny and june uh, every film <laughs> so if you want to read uh the ranking of that it's kind of my order but it's also kind of what rotten tomatoes tells me the order should be um but i do agree wholeheartedly with number one and number two so you can go and check that out um also mentioned and i'm just hoping i will have finished it and it will be up by the time this episode comes out but i uh counted uh or ranked the 95 best suspense films ever made um it's a lot of films yeah <laughs> it's really really a lot of films uh when i take these like big assignments i'm like great this is what i this is what i love to do i love a deep dive i love kind of really going in depth and, and topics and exploring it in that way and then i start writing and i'm like it's a lot of films i gotta watch and write about <laughs> so hopefully uh that will have all come together by the time that you're hearing this and will be available for you to peruse uh i can only apologize for where jaws places on that list uh if it was my ranking obviously it'd be number one although i guess if you're looking at it as a suspense film there are more suspense suspensier films than Jaws so <laughs> I don't feel bad about what is uh, what comes higher than it because a lot of Hitchcock uh, which makes me happy uh, yes yeah, so you can find all of the stuff I've written uh, in my Twitter bio but also looper.com forward slash author forward slash Sarah Buttery is where all of that stuff lives um, and you can find us on social media we are um, at Jaws for a minute on Twitter and Instagram if you want to follow us individually on Twitter, I am at Sarah Buddery and MJ is at MJSmith891. If you go to either our Twitter or Instagram, you will find our link tree uh, in our bios and there you will find the link to our Public and Redbubble pages. You can purchase our merchandise uh, with designs courtesy of at HexGhosts on Twitter. You can also buy our theme song by at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. Um, the link to her Bandcamp page is also in her Instagram bio as well as our link tree. Also in our link tree, you can find our coffee page where for a minimum of £3 or $3, you can buy us some virtual caffeine uh, and that will earn you a shout out on the show and you'll be entered into our draw to win a t-shirt. It's been a minute since we've had some donations. Mm -hmm. So if you are able to donate, that would be great. Uh, and then we, when we get to our goal, we can have a nice little contest for... Uh, win some merch uh yeah and it's only three pounds three dollars and you could win a, a t-shirt that costs 20 yep. uh so pretty pretty good if i do say so myself um and finally if 
uh, aren't able to do any of those things or just you know in addition to uh, you can rate review subscribe um, wherever you get your podcasts that really helps us out um pushes us up the rankings we've been very con- i know i'm obsessed with where we rank in norway but it keeps coming <laughs> up in our emails and like we've been pretty consistently in the top 50 nice. in norway for like a few weeks so oh, yeah. to our norway listeners <laughs> very grateful i will uh, see the northman I- in your honor <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it's just it amuses me every time because it's always just like us uk which is far enough because you know <laughs> that seems to be our biggest audiences that is where we are both based but so then when we like crop up in other countries i'm just like isn't that isn't that pretty cool yeah. uh <laughs> good times thank you norway um yeah uh i <laughs> lost my train of thought completely so i will wrap it up there uh, that's all for this week until next time it's jaws o'clock somewhere <laughs>